Hello, my name is Christopher Shagnon. Before we begin the podcast today, I wanted to take a moment to give a quick explanation behind why we have three different versions. This is our first multilingual episode of the podcast. One of our guests, Katima Choa, will be speaking in Spanish, and our other guest, Professor Paula Manoya, will help translate Katy's words into English. We understand that some of our listeners speak Spanish and some of our listeners don't speak Spanish. So after some thoughts and some discussion, we decided to make the editorial decision to have three different versions of the podcast. The original version with both Katy's original words and the translations back to back. A version that is in Spanish where there is only Katy's words without the translation. That way our Spanish speaking listeners. And for our, our non-Spanish speaking listeners, we have a version that has the translation with Katy's original words in the background. We felt that this was the fairest and most responsible way to do things, to make sure that we're not silencing a very important voice, simply because some of our listeners don't speak her language, but also that we're not forcing our Spanish-speaking listeners to listen to something twice in a row. This is the original version of the podcast, with Katy's words in Spanish, followed immediately by Paula's translation into English. Thank you very much. Muchas gracias. And on to the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Exalt podcast. My name is Christopher Shagnon. And I'm Sofia Hagolani-Albov. Today we have with us Paula Minoya. Hi. And Katie Machoa. Hi. This is a really exciting day because this is going to be two guest days. So we're going to get to talk to both of these very interesting women. And this is also a new day for us because we're going to be talking today in both English and Spanish. So if you understand Spanish, enjoy. And if you don't understand Spanish, hold tight because the translation will be coming right after. Could you ladies introduce yourselves for our audience? I'm Paola Minoia. I'm a senior lecturer in development studies here at the University of Helsinki. And I'm here together with Kati Machoa because we are collaborating for a project that is funded by the Academy of Finland about eco-cultural pluralism in Ecuador in the Amazonian region. Como me habían presentado, mi nombre es Kati Machoa. También formo parte del proyecto con Paola Minoia. Y bueno, un gusto. Gracias por estar aquí. Kati is introducing herself and says uh, that she's confirming what I was saying about uh, the, the collaboration in the project, and she's happy to be here. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming to join us. One of the first questions that we have is, tell us about your project. What are you guys doing? Bueno, gracias. Quisiera decir un poco de que el proyecto tiene que ver mucho con lo que yo soy. Yo soy de nacionalidad quichua, de la Amazonía ecuatoriana. En mi país existen, digamos, varios pueblos y nacionalidades indígenas, específicamente 18 pueblos y 14 nacionalidades. Yo formo parte de una de ellas y justamente el proyecto trata de desde estas digamos, eh, otras formas que nosotros existimos, poder entender el mundo, ¿no? Desde estas epistemologías, poder entender eh, el mundo en relación a, en, al contexto del Ecuador. I can translate for you. The project is about uh, what I am 
uh, Cathy says. Uh, I am a personal member of the Quechua community of the Equatorian Amazon. And this, this project is, is about uh, myself and my identity. Quechua people is one of the 14 nationalities that exist in Ecuador. And together with the 18 uh, pueblos, uh, communities, uh, we form a very diverse uh, part of the population of the country and uh, each one with uh, specific epistemology. So uh, with this project, uh, uh, I would like to refer of my world and uh, to the epistemological right to exist uh, being represented within the variety of the cultures of our country. And how did you two get together over this project? Yeah, um, como nos somos encontradas en, en el, por el proyecto puedo puedo yeah. decir sí uh, okay the project has started already a year ago and the project has uh, different components uh, um, it uh, it has uh, I mean I wanted to say also that it's relevant uh, in terms also of the extractivism discussion and I would like to tell a bit later as explain the the connection between uh, culture and uh, territoriality and uh, and the struggles against extractivism so for this reason we didn't want to have a project, uh, I mean, it's, of course the project uh, is funded by the Academy of Finland, but uh, it came uh, from uh, from a longer relation that uh, we had and I had also personally with the people of the uh, Universidad Estatal Amazonica, the state-based university in Puyo, Pastaza, which is a region of the Amazonian Ecuador, and, and together we were looking at the importance of strengthening the diversity of, of cultures within uh, also the programs of the university. This is because that university has a big part of the students that come from uh, the Amazonian region, but what has been taught is still very Western-oriented. The programs are especially of technology, science, and so on, which have nothing to deal with, uh, you know, with the local reality. So this uh, seen as very problematic because, you know, it doesn't really help uh, the local people in uh, supporting their own projects, uh, which is for the living forest, for a life in deep connection with nature. And it doesn't really help the conservation of nature and of all the sumacause and the real culture. Also, it doesn't prepare the local people to face the environmental changes that are either local and also produced by an hegemonic uh, power that is represented also within uh, science and education. So for this reason, it was very important to work with the local indigenous people, which is really difficult to find because uh, indigenous people, for also this reason, that they find themselves in an education that uh, is so detached from their life. Uh, so if they enter the university, they give up. So it's really difficult to find someone that can do research with us. So within this project, I had also contacts with some uh, scientists, professors, also from other universities. And I was in touch also with Catherine Walsh, who is a very prominent researcher and scientist that works on decoloniality. And she told me, I know someone that can work with you is Kati Machoa. And she was ending her master's degree in the University of Quito, Andina. So that's why we got in touch and we started this wonderful collaboration. See, si, así es. <laughs> 
Tal vez añadir que eh, nos ha juntado la necesidad de también, o oh, nos ha conectado, no sé, el universo, de poder este profundizar sobre específicamente la educación, pero la educación ligada a nuestras formas de entender la vida, de relacionarnos con la naturaleza, que es un tema que, pese a que hay una normativa que es de avanzada, no se profundiza. Entonces, para mí eso eso es algo importante, o sea que el proyecto tiene una contribución muy importante porque no se profundiza sobre estas otras formas de pensar, ¿no? Entonces todavía existe una epistemología dominante, ¿no? Y estas otras formas están marginalizadas y entonces el proyecto es importante por eso y no nos hemos juntado, creo yo, por eso también. Mm. Gracias. What Cathy is saying is that from her point of view, her people has a, a vast type of knowledges that are very important because they are very much uh, related to the way they live within their world and uh, the nature and the forest and the way they deal with it. And this is absolutely marginalized and needs to be recentered. And that's why this project is very important. This is a, a very fascinating thing to me, this uh, idea of decolonizing education. And this is something that I'm very curious about. I mean, especially with so many different groups and nationalities, and I'd imagine that each would probably have their own different area of knowledge. How do you bridge that gap? Mm -hmm. I mean, what kind of steps are taken to be able to bring these two worlds together? Bueno, eh, la contribución... Primeramente, este proyecto es un proyecto que es como utiliza mucho las metodologías participativas, colaborativas, se ha planteado trabajar con las estructuras organizativas, con las universidades, contar con las contribuciones que ya están hechas, contar con la predisposición también de personas que están haciendo estudios al respecto. Entonces, de alguna manera, una contribución es como articular, ¿no es cierto?, esfuerzos tanto a nivel académico como a nivel de actores, ¿no?, que están eh, articulados con este tema, las organizaciones, las organizaciones ¿no? Entonces, eh, y es eh, poder contribuir al debate, ¿no?, mm. porque la contribución eh, en el debate va a poder hacer que los diferentes actores, ¿no es cierto?, se reflexione, se profundice más. Porque, bueno, yo también he sido dirigente a la CONAIE y hemos tenido como una agenda en nuestras actividades de movilización, de marcha y de protesta, eh, la educación intercultural bilingüe, pero es la acción política, entonces, ahora esto es contribuir para una reflexión más profunda, ¿ya? Para construir una academia activa, participativa y para, o sea, es un tema muy complicado, ¿no? Entonces, contribuir a, a poder pensar cómo salimos adelante en esto. Cathy is saying that this project has a, a specific methodology that is participative and in the sense that it has involved uh, universities and also indigenous organizations, especially with uh, those uh, scientists within the universities that are trying really to link these different worlds and are doing this type of, uh, uh, of studies, academic studies, but, but also with a research action perspective. So in this debate, a contribution of uh, CONAIE, for instance, 
instance, which is the umbrella organization where all the indigenous organizations uh, of Ecuador are, are merging. The contribution of CONAIA is very important, uh, and I would say also of CONFENIAI, which is the organization that is uh, of, uh, of the Amazonic region peoples. Kati has been one of the leaders of CONAIA, especially for women, for several years. And that's why we think that it's wonderful to collaborate with her. And CONAIA has been very active in protest against, you know, certain state-led policies. And it's very important that this political action will be also addressed within the research world and within academy that must be more involved in what happens in the country. And so that's why the universities need to be more participative and active. Thank you so much for giving us some insight into the project that you're working on. Can you tell us some of the ways that this decolonialization of education can actually help with these struggles against extractivism, like in a very applied way? Sí, efectivamente, yo diría que siguiendo la línea de las epistemologías, las formas de pensar, de ver, de sentir el mundo, efectivamente hay una, o sea, los pueblos y nacionalidades indígenas ten tenemos esta diversidad de ver el mundo, pero que no es compatible, digamos, con la política de Estado que tiene una normativa, en el caso del Ecuador, muy bonita, ¿no? Porque tiene los derechos de la naturaleza, porque se dice un Estado plurinacional, pero que es nominativa. Y en la práctica, estas visiones, ¿no es cierto?, están en conflicto, están en disputa. Y estos conflictos, concretamente, eh, me voy a referir yo al tema de lo, del despojo de los territorios. Entonces, tenemos que desde arriba, desde la epistemología, desde el decir, del discurso del Estado, este se habla de desarrollo, del suma causa, ¿no? de esto del buen vivir, pero... A costa de despojar el territorio, por ejemplo, en el 2016, el territorio Shuar, a costa también de no seguir, eh, por ejemplo, eh, de no cumplir con la consulta previa libre informada. Tenemos un caso emblemático que es el caso del pueblo de Sarayaku, recientemente el caso de la nacionalidad guao de Pastaza. ¿sí? En estos últimos dos casos, vía legal se ha ganado porque... No, en realidad no hubo ninguna consulta, pero en el país, digamos, eh, hay como esta estrategia, ¿no?, de definitivamente ver estas for otras formas que tenemos los pueblos indígenas como están de más, sobran. Entonces, es como por la fuerza, inclusive, sí, hemos tenido compañeros, eh, en el caso amazónico, hemos tenido tres compañeros este, que han sido asesinados y que de su muerte hasta ahora no se sabe los motivos, o sea, no se encuentran los culpables, pero que nosotros desde las organizaciones decimos que el Estado eh, es el culpable porque estuvo, estuvieron los militares, la policía, la fuerza pública. Y entonces, cuando hablamos de epistemologías o queremos entender la epistemología, es justamente entender todo este contexto conflictivo que surge en los territorios indígenas, en donde se intenta sobreponer ¿no? este, una visión dominante de la vida, del desarrollo ¿sí? y todo esto. Por los recursos. Por lo, exactamente, por poder apropiarse de los recursos. 
Okay, I'm trying to translate all these. Um, yeah, it's very important to link uh, this discussion about the way how we see the world and how they have uh, led to different practices over the environment and over the forest in this case. So although Ecuador has been very popular also internationally as a country that has this 2008 constitution that speaks about uh, interculturalism, about uh, plurinationalism and the rights of nature, this has been only superficially realized in practice and on the contrary, the conflictive relation and with the territories and the spoliation of these territories has continued, has kept on more and more in a conflictive way that has also involved the military forces and has involved also, unfortunately, the murder of some of the compañeros or some uh, uh, that uh, the indigenous people still remember and keep the memory high to continue with the struggles. So what happens is that uh, there, uh, we, if we only stay within the region of Pastaza, where we operate for the project, the, you know, there are, in 2016, uh, um, a violation of the territory of the Shuar without uh, a previous agreement, a previous uh, information and consensus. And the same cases happened in a few years back uh, in the Pueblo of Sarayaku and very recently also in the Waurani natural area. So what has happened is that fortunately these people, the Sarayaku and the Waurani, have established also a collaboration with international organizations, associations all across the world so that they have been really fighting also by court and they won the case. So this has been... Uh, in the beginning of uh, 2019 uh, as a very successful you know story that uh, the current government in any case has tried with an appeal and they even very recently they they even won the appeal so this is a very good struggle and what the argument of Kati and our argument uh, is uh, in general that uh, in this conflictive context that uh, doesn't appear within uh, you know the, the general discussion that also within the academy but it's real and we have to address it and it doesn't appear because it's not evident that uh, we have a different ideas of the world, different ideas of how we should use the natural resources. We don't have to have just this economicist consideration about uh, the natural resources. And the science has to be a science for life and not a science for death. So this is the idea. Just in case our listeners aren't familiar with the Ecuadorian context, could you just tell us a little bit about the types of extraction that are happening within the sí. areas that you live? Sí. Bueno, muchas gracias por la pregunta. El Ecuador tiene una larga historia con respecto al extractivismo petrolero en la zona norte. El caso emblemático es Texaco, eh, que fue publicitado mundialmente para poder visibilizar las consecuencias nocivas que todo el daño que causó esa petrolera en el norte, o sea, hasta ahora no se puede solucionar a las personas, a la tierra, al agua. Entonces nosotros tenemos esa experiencia. Como pueblos indígenas miramos al norte, miramos cómo la gente se muere de cáncer sin tener ni un hospital, de hambre, etcétera, Y nosotros no queremos no queremos eso. Entonces nosotros, todos los pueblos indígenas y más los amazónicos, nos organizamos para defender nuestro territorio. 
Pero en esta última, sí. Sí, voy a traducir eso. Uh, sí, sí, sí. sí. <laughs> okay, I translate this because otherwise it gets difficult. So thank you very much for the question. Ecuador has had a very long history of oil extraction, in particular in the north of the country from the Texaco. And so it's very important to make it evident that uh, this has had uh, consequences that have been tremendous for people, for the land and for water. And that these are consequences that are still going on. For instance, there are a lot of people that died of cancer and there are no hospitals and there is a, a lot of uh, poverty anyway that stays in the place. Sí, para hablar de eso es mucho, pero solo es ver como una imagen muy desoladora. Entonces nosotros no queremos eso y por eso luchamos mucho para que eso no suceda. Pero... En este último tiempo, contradictoriamente con lo que se ofreció, digamos, como política de Estado, con el suma causa y con planes estratégicos para el buen vivir, lo que nos cayó encima fue la mega minería. La mega minería, no, ese tema no existía en el Ecuador, sino hasta justo esta última década que vivimos eh, de un gobierno que se decía mucho ser de la revolución ciudadana, pero justo aquí nos cayó la mega minería y que ahora ya inició eh, a operar en una cordillera que se llama el Cóndor. Y el Cóndor es una ave sagrada de la cordillera de los Andes, de toda la cordillera de los Andes, de todos los países. Y eh, justo hay... Nosotros tenemos una partecita de esa cordillera y ahí y ese proyecto megaminero se llama Cóndor Mirador y ahí ya empezó toda esta, esta actividad minera y eso para mí es difícil comprender porque tenemos, por ejemplo, la minería histórica de Potosí en Perú y uno ve esa imagen, yo si ustedes no la han visto les invito a ver una minería de la colonia y, o sea, no tienes nada ahora. Y yo quisiera que ustedes también puedan ver la cordillera de los Andes, ¿no? Y saber que se va a transformar como en la mina de Potosí. No, yo no entiendo quién podría estar de acuerdo con eso. Entonces, justamente esa es la necesidad de poder entender, ¿no es cierto?, de, desde dónde estamos hablando, ¿sí? Y nosotros hablamos desde... Desde un entendimiento, un sentimiento, ¿no es cierto? Desde una epistemología de la vida, ¿no? En, en relación con el resto de las vidas. Eso es lo que nosotros defendemos, queremos compartir y que hoy estamos este, metiéndolo en el proyecto como un debate. Cathy says that besides oil extraction, there is something really new that has happened in the past 10 years and that was not known in, uh, in Ecuador and was established by the Korea's time, the decade that was called uh, Citizens Revolution. And in his uh, strategic plans, there is the mega mineria, so the mega project for mines extractions. And this is happening now in the Cordillera del Condor, which is a sacred area that is important for all the Andes. 
and the big project is called uh, Condor Mirador and Cathy invites everyone to see what has happened in Peru with the mega project of the mines of Potosí. It's an area that was uh, of tremendous value and now there is nothing. So the fact of knowing that uh, a project like this uh, will bring death of nature and all types of life uh, it's a terrible thing that uh, make them, you know, continue this struggle. And uh, she also uh, insists on the link with the epistemology and the consideration that life has to be considered not only in a sectorial way, you know, how a resource extraction can function for certain interest uh, or developmental interest, but they have to be related to all other aspects of life. Si quisiera solo compartirles una experiencia con respecto a esta parte de la minería que es algo nuevo en, en el Ecuador y que espero que no dure mucho, es que hay una forma con la que el Estado se apropia de los terrenos que es la servidumbre minera. Entonces, esa servidumbre minera, así tú no quieras, o sea, te... te se despojan de la tierra y supuestamente es por un determinado tiempo. Me, no estoy segura, pero me parece que son 20 años. Entonces, trabajan, explotan la minería por 20 años y después ya puedes regresar. Pero, ¿regresar a dónde? Y pasa que justo yo acompañé ese proceso y el, a, había el caso de una señora una compañera que tenía eh, 100 años de edad, que ella no podía, o sea, ella no podía separarse de su territorio, o sea, vivió toda la vida ahí, tenía 100 años y la sacaron. Ella, como todas las familias de ese lugar, vinieron a la madrugada a los policías, les dijeron, tienen cinco minutos para salir. Y la gente dormida con los niños, a la madrugada uno duerme. En ese momento, asustados, sacaron lo que más pudieron con los niños y todo, sacaron, sacaron. Y después, este, con los policías metieron unas tractores y como allá las casas son de madera, botaron las casas, hicieron un hueco. Y enterraron todas las casas, le echaron encima la tierra y cuando yo fui a ver, las compañeras me decían, aquí estaba mi casa, pero ¿dónde? Está allá adentro enterrada, porque como hicieron desaparecer donde nosotros vivíamos y todo, y se quedaron sin nada. Katy is referring to an experience that she had uh, directly that refers to a form of mining servitude, something like that that is causing a displacement of people by the state for 20 years. After that, they can go back. But uh, where do they go back? And she has worked in a community where she has seen what has happened in a very early morning because she was following a woman of 100 years and more that was uh, woke up in the morning very early and they gave her five minutes to leave uh, her place. And she, together with other families with small children, they had just the time to gather a few things and leave. And what happened is that five minutes later, all the, I mean, trucks arrived and uh, they also smashed all the houses. Uh, they were poor houses and all of them were covered by soil so that all their existence and their presence had disappeared all of a sudden. So it was really terrible to see that her very presence was cancelled, was just deleted uh, very easily. 
Entonces, por eso siempre nosotros decimos que nosotros somos seres humanos, como cualquier otra persona. ¿Y por qué nos tratan de esa manera? O sea, que siempre en nombre del desarrollo y en nombre de todos, unos pagamos o no nos quedamos sin nada. This is happening in the name of development, so that for the development idea, they are paying. And something that Cathy was saying before is that uh, she feels that uh, the indigenous people are treated as uh, a plus. I mean, something that is, uh, you know, unneeded and also an obstacle to development. So that's why they're easily dislocated. Entonces, eso es la, digamos, tu pregunta del extractivismo. Es el extractivismo que significa toda... O sea, que se juega la vida, ¿no? Hablar de extractivismo y de los proyectos que existieron, pero que hasta hoy tenemos la consecuencia de los nuevos proyectos, así como de las nuevas pretensiones. Porque el Ecuador, sí, eh, digamos, tiene varios mapas. Es decir, que tiene varios proyectos, varias visiones de sobre el territorio. Nuestra visión se la hemos podido, por llamarla de alguna manera, como planes de vida comunitarios. Estos planes de vida son eso, vivir en armonía, este, salvaguardar este, lo que es nuestro, pero lo que es tuyo, lo que es de ustedes también, lo que es de todos. Pero hay el otro mapa que es de estas concesiones, en donde desde el poder, yo no sé, tal vez porque no viven ahí, pero... No, no, no entiendo. Se ponen estos, el Ecuador está dividido en bloques petroleros, en concesiones mineras. Y entonces se está avanzando hasta allá. Y ahora en la zona en donde nosotras trabajamos está el bloque 28, ¿no? Eh, es un nuevo bloque que se están buscando cómo este, ingresar. It's very important to go back to the idea of epistemology and the conflict of knowledge and visions. First of all, to understand what are the consequences of this conflict. And uh, the knowledge on an area is uh, normally also represented by maps. We also have our maps, uh, and our maps are also supporting some uh, planes de vida. Uh, that uh, means uh, our living plans. It's our way to think, to plan about the future of our territories, our, our areas. But the problem is that uh, on the same space, uh, there are conflicting points of view and conflicting plans uh, that are those represented by the cartography of the oil blocks. Uh, all our space is subdivided in blocks. And in this very moment, uh, we are also fighting for a new oil block, uh, which is the number 28, uh, where there are activities going on and uh, that we are struggling for that. Entonces, ahora pensaba que Helsinki es muy bonito porque me gusta que está el agua alrededor y hay muchos espacios verdes y las casas y creo que hay un buen entendimiento entre las personas aquí, la naturaleza. Y no sé por qué es tan difícil entender eso en mi país. Nosotros también tenemos muchos ríos. También no tenemos salmón, pero tenemos otras especies que son muy ricas también que ustedes pueden probar. Y no queremos perder eso, porque una gota de petróleo en el agua 
no va a ser bueno ese producto. Y porque los pueblos indígenas, sobre todo nos, el, el territorio todavía es una fuente de autoabastecimiento. Entonces hay una relación directa para nosotros. Pero hay esta cuestión que no es compatible, ¿sí? Y es porque es justamente para mí es un problema de visión, ¿sí? Por eso nosotros luchamos. Mm. Kathy is saying that she really appreciates Helsinki as a beautiful city and the, the what she has seen is that here, despite the fact that it's a very modern city, it's still quite well related to nature and uh, there are many green spaces and uh, this is a way of city planning that is far away from what she has seen uh, in uh, happening in Ecuador where it looks like the same urbanization is really killing everything and especially when it's coupled with uh, oil extraction I mean it's just sufficient that one drop of oil goes into a river that then uh, there is a series of complications and uh, very negative impacts that kill many many plants and what she wants is just to keep all these things alive if i can also say something just to go back to this uh, idea also of epistemology and uh, knowledge management uh, and extractivism uh, something that is quite interestingly that has happened Uh, in, in Ecuador, uh, especially during the last period of the past government, so, but still recently, is that uh, instead of this uh, interculturalism that was stated in the Constitution, there has been a, a modernization of the knowledge that has been uh, made concrete with the uh, Millennium Projects. You know, the Millennium Project sounds something that, uh, you know, reminds us of the development projects, you know, the Millennium Development Goals, these type of things. So it's the same wording. And uh, the Millennium Projects are new cities in the extraction areas. These new cities is where also indigenous people that are going to work for the oil companies and with others, other workers are put together in, a, you know, standardized type of villages <laughs> and where the millennium schools are made. So it's not related to anything of the knowledge of the local people, but it's uh, on the contrary. These are really also very modern and highly technical, well-equipped schools where they really create uh, disciplined students and create a knowledge system that is instrumental to the project of the state and the project of extractivism and development thinking. So I think this is very important, this uh, correlation. And just to clarify for our listeners, when we said development right there, there were some air quotes happening. Yes. So development with air quotes, just so you can all picture what we mean. Thank you so much for all of that. I mean, it's a lot to kind of digest. And I mean, chilling even to think of. I mean, like I'm getting goosebumps thinking of it. people just being thrown out of their homes. Like this is something that like in the modern day, how can this happen? And you'd mentioned that there have been some victories in the courts. And I'm curious with all of this, how do the land rights work? Do indigenous groups have land rights to a particular area? Do individual families within there have it in an indigenous area? How can a company come in and, and do that? Mm. And that's very yeah. important. Thank you for the question. Eh, bueno, sí es eh, interesante la pregunta. Claro, hay la propiedad individual y nosotros hemos luchado por la propiedad colectiva. 
que nos hemos organizado mucho para que se reconozca este, la propiedad colectiva, que son los territorios, ¿ya? Pero digamos que hay dos tipos de territorios, unos que son legalizados y otras, otros que no han podido ser legalizados, que todavía están en proceso de que el Estado, que ahora es plurinacional, lo reconozca, ¿no? Entre comillas. Entonces, por ejemplo, lo que contaba de, de las casas que les metieron en el hueco eh, fueron más como fincas, ¿no? Como una modalidad de fincas que serían propiedades individuales. Entonces fue más fácil para el Estado. Porque, claro, cuando son propiedades colectivas, entonces es... Eh, nos amparamos en los derechos colectivos a nivel internacional, inclusive. Entonces hacemos, como decir, más fuerza, ¿no? Más, más guerra, más, o sea, de alguna manera los derechos colectivos nos dan un respaldo. Pero hay propiedades individuales, pero no es que sean individuales, sino que hay un, es producto de la colonización que nosotros vivimos y que en su momento no, no han podido ser legalizados hasta ahora. Yo misma provengo de un territorio que, por ejemplo, se sobrepone eh, un parque nacional en nuestro territorio y yo, nosotros estamos peleando para que se reconozca todo nuestro territorio y que no sea del parque, sino que se reconozca como nuestro. En, y todavía no, así estamos luchando, así hay muchos otros. Okay, this is a very important question, and there are both types. So there are uh, collective properties and individual properties, uh, and uh, the fact of assigning lands and territories to the nationalities has been one of the conquests of the uh, struggles of the indigenous organizations, and especially after the march that they did uh, in 1992, they got the recognition of uh, the land. Just to say, for instance, I mean, I'm adding this, uh, they, they got a million and 500,000 hectares of land assigned to the nationalities of the Amazon region. So that was a really great success. But still, despite these, uh, that has been, you know, just uh, political acts also legalized, but uh, then uh, going to the land, some of them are still ongoing in the definition of the properties. So when the lands are collective property, it's much easier to organize the struggle and to resist to this entrance. But in the case that, for instance, she was mentioning before of these uh, women that have been chased out and uh, their houses destroyed, in that case, uh, they were individual properties. Uh, and that's why it was much, much easier, you know, to go and just have them living. She is also coming from a community where there are individual properties. They would like to have recognized as collective, but the fact is that it's within an area that is considered as a national park, so property of the state. But they say this is not a national park, this is our, our land. But so there are various types of struggles. Thank you very much for sharing those stories with us and also sharing with us a little bit about how the land is structured. I know that our time is starting to run a little bit short, but I wanted to ask if somebody is listening to this and, you know, this really captures them, what's something that an average person could do in support? 
Bueno, este, gracias por la predisposición. Muchas gracias por eh, creer que se puede contribuir. Creo que ese espíritu de no ser individualistas y no... Digamos que no me importa lo que pasa en otro lado, otra persona es muy importante, entonces gracias por eso. Y después creo que pasa primero por escuchar. Nos gustaría, a mí me gusta mucho este espacio y todos para poder entendernos, ¿no? Para poder hacer entendimientos colectivos de, de qué es lo que se está jugando. Eh, pienso que estamos o sea, de hecho, estamos conectados. El mundo es uno solo. Esta es sola nuestra casa. No, no tenemos más. Entonces, creo que sí podemos hacer algo pensando en esta casa que nosotros decimos que es la Pachamama, ¿no? Que significa, bueno, Pacha es tiempo, espacio. Y mama, bueno, es generalizado, ¿no? Esta madre tiempo, espacio que nos cobija, ¿ya? Y creo que... Personalmente uno va a encontrar las, las respuestas a esa pregunta, a cómo poder este, contribuir con nuestra gran casa, nuestra gran madre, la tierra. Y después eh, les convoco, eh, nosotros tenemos nuestras redes oficiales, ¿no es cierto?, eh, que están eh, en la web, que son www.conalle.org, www.confeñae.net, en donde está siempre estamos poniendo noticias y cada caso que sale a veces tiene una demanda específica. Entonces, y ahí... Cuando pasa algo, nosotros ponemos contribuciones ya más específicas, ¿no es cierto? Contribuciones de estas que salen mucho en el internet, de firmas, ¿no? De poder llegar a un número de firmas, también contribuciones este, económicas si son posibles. Ya es una cuestión más específica, pero son como las dos cosas. Ajá. Thank you very much for asking to contribute. This is really appreciate and it's really nice that uh, there is an approach that is not in, only individualist or curious, but you really show care for us, although we are so far away. So it is very important that uh, you listen to us uh, to have, uh, I mean, to build a collective understanding because the world is only one and we have no other homes that this one. This is our Pachamama, a that means uh, time and space uh, and mother. So how to contribute? I would, I mean, ask you, for instance, to have a look at our websites. Uh, one is www.conaie.org or uh, net, and there we we put all our news and with also specific questions according to the you know specific issues and there are different requests for contribution could be through signatures could be through also some little economic support so please follow us and what we do We'll make a link to those websites in the show notes, so if any of the listeners are interested in finding out a little bit more, they can link to those down below. And as well, to wrap up, is there any social media or, or blogs or anything like that that people can follow to keep up with the project? 
Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, with our project, we have a blog that is within the University of Helsinki, and you can find us with blogs.helsinki.fi/ecocultures line Ecuador. So, but anyway, if you Google ecocultures Ecuador Helsinki, you find us. Don't worry, we'll Sorry. put a direct link to that down in the show notes, so people will just be able to click it. Thank you very much. And I do highly recommend everyone to, uh, to check out the blog we were reading up to prepare. And I mean, it was very beautifully written pieces, really interesting, really engaging. And some lovely photographs. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for coming and sharing this with us. And as well, we know that you've been rushing around and don't have a, a ton of time. So we really, really appreciate you spending a bit of it with us and with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming here today and giving us just a little bit of a glimpse into some of these lived experiences that you're having under this kind of world system we're living in. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Kati Machoa and Professor Paula Manoya. Please join us next month when we will be speaking with Professor Tom Marafa from Youngstown State University. It's going to be a really interesting conversation looking at extractivism and sense of place in small town Ohio. I'm Christopher Shagnon. On behalf of Sophia Hagelani-Albov, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.